Hello, I'm Helen McCabe from the University of Nottingham. Welcome to the Forced Marriage Research Podcast, where we explore concepts, contexts, and contemporary challenges. This podcast has grown out of an Arts and Humanities Research Council-funded fellowship that I hold at the University of Nottingham's Rights Lab and School of Politics and IR. Project seeks to understand the relationship between forced marriage and modern slavery and was prompted by the International Labour Organisation and Walk Free, including forced marriage in their global estimates of slavery in 2017. This project has three main research questions. When, if ever, is forced marriage a form of modern slavery? Whether the law as it currently stands really encapsulates the harm we want to end regarding forced marriage, and whether any forms of marriage, not just forced marriages, should be seen as forms of modern slavery. The project approaches these questions from three perspectives. Firstly, given my background as an historian of political thought, from a philosophical perspective. Secondly, from the perspective of the law and legal theory. And thirdly, from the perspective of survivors themselves. Joining me for this episode is Dr Hannah Baumeister, who has been working on the legal aspect of this project for the last 12 months and is sadly just coming to the end of her official time working on this grant. Hannah, we first met at a conference in Johannesburg on conjugal slavery and war way, 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 way back when you could still travel and meet people in person. Um, So given that, would you like to say just a bit about your research interests before you came to join this project? Sure, thanks. So um, I would say that my research looks at sexual and gender-based conflict-related violence against women, and especially um, at rape and forced marriage. And I look at it, or I'm interested in psychosocial, legal, and artistic responses to that. So in the past, I've looked at organizations providing psychosocial support to survivors of war rape in Bosnia and Kosovo, and how they respond to the respective contexts they work in. Um, I also looked at graphic novels and how they illustrate acts of war violence against women and the related laws and if or how that helps us to understand the laws surrounding those acts of violence and maybe also what graphic novels could add to a purely legal understanding of those crimes. And then lastly... Mm -hmm. I looked at international criminal law responses to war rape and forced marriage, and especially the politics behind the negotiations to develop the international criminal court definitions of war rape and forced marriage. But then also at um, the case law of the International Criminal Court, or ICC in short, and the case law of the Rwanda and Yugoslavia Tribunal, um, the Special Court for Sierra Leone, and the Extraordinary Chambers in the Courts of Cambodia. And again, how they address, especially forced marriage, but also a little bit um, what they are de- or how they are dealing with war rape, and um, how they understand coercion and consent when it comes to forced marriage. Great, and I know that one of the things we've been really interested in with this project is expanding the study of forced marriage away from just looking at conflict situations. And so one of the things you've been really busy with over the last 12 months has been collecting and coding all the legislation from around the world on forced marriage, 
but that's a topic for a whole other episode of this podcast. And, and for now, I'm thinking about the amazing case notes that you've made of different judgments and which we put on our research website, which is forcemarriageresearch.ac.uk. Um, and recommend anybody listening to go and read those. They're really informative. So I'm thinking about these different judgments that have been made about forced marriages from all the courts you just mentioned in conflict situations. How would you summarize what we can say about the relationship between forced marriage and slavery as understood by the relevant courts in wars? I think the international criminal courts and tribunals um, have gone through a bit of a journey when it comes to responses um, to forced marriage, and it has changed over time. And the understanding about the relationship of, of forced marriage and modern slavery has changed. So um, the first case that looked at it was the case um, related to the acts of the Armed Forces Revolutionary Council, or AFRC for short, um, that was dealt with by the Special Court for Sierra Leone. And they said in their trial judgment that forced marriage is a form of sexual slavery because forced husbands exercise control over forced wives' sexuality, their movement and labor. And that amounts to um, exercising ownership rights over their forced wives. And the court there also said that the label wife and the exclusivity of those relationships was also a sign of control and therefore um, an exercise of ownership rights. The court slightly changed its mind in that case, though, um, at the appeals stage, where the court then said, or the, the appeals chamber then said, forced marriage isn't a form of sexual slavery because it's not predominantly a sexual crime. And instead they said forced marriage is an imposition of forced of, of a forced conjugal association that is marked by exclusivity and the shift in the status of forced wives. The next case then that came up, um, again in the Special Court for Sierra Leone, um, was against members of the Revolutionary United Front, or RUF for short. Um, and that case kind of brought the two strands of the AFRC case together, because on the one hand, they said forced marriage is a form of sexual slavery, but also it's something else. It's this imposition of a forced conjugal association that makes it a different crime. Um, they said it's another inhumane act, which um, amounts to a crime against humanity. So this other inhumane act is basically a catch-all category under crimes against humanity. And then the third case that the Special Court for Sierra Leone dealt with was against Charles Taylor. And there again, it took a different approach to forced marriage and the relationship between forced marriage and sexual slavery. And there they said forced marriage is a form of sexual slavery as well as a form of enslavement. Um, so the sexual elements of a forced marriage were seen as a form of sexual slavery, but then the non-sexual element, especially the domestic work that forced wives do, was seen as a form of enslavement. Um, and they kind of picked up on the reasoning of the AFRC trial chamber in, in justifying or explaining why they think it's a form of slavery more broadly. Um, 
And yeah, and the, in the Taylor case, and the court also said that forced marriage can be more than just sexual slavery, but is still included in that box, if you want, or under that under that category. The Taylor case is also apart from thinking about how we categorize forced marriage in international criminal law. It was also interesting because in that case, the court said that forced marriage is actually the wrong term to use. They said we shouldn't call it whatever it is. We shouldn't call it forced marriage. We should call it conjugal slavery because it's not a real marriage, they said. And then the other two cases that I want to mention um, are cases that the International Criminal Court well, dealt with, is currently dealing with. So the one is um, against Dominic Ongwen. Um, that I think consolidated the discussion that was going on in the special court for Sierra Leone. On the one hand, so they said forced marriage is a violation of the right to marry, to freely marry. And they said, different, like when it comes to the definition of forced marriage, they said forced marriage is an imposition, regardless of the will of the victim, of marital duties and the mar a marital status. And that makes it another inhumane act again, so not sexual slavery. But they also said that forced marriage is a gateway to other crimes, um, and that forced marriage is related to sexual slavery, and situations of forced marriage usually also include sexual slavery, as well as other crimes, for example, enslavement, rape, forced pregnancy, torture, or other outrages upon personal dignity. What they um, meant by that was, for example, that forced wives are forced to kill enemies or um, other members of the armed group if they, as a form of punishment. Um, I, and then they said... I think the case is interesting because it tried to pick apart those the different elements of those crimes a little bit more. So we get a bit more of a sense of why forced marriage can be seen as so many things or as including so many different crimes. So um, they said, um, because all those different crimes, enslavement, rape, torture, outrages upon personal dignity, um, sexual slavery, they're all have materially different elements and they can be charged based on the same facts and we have to kind of charge them all to fully capture a situation. And then last but not least, um, the, ca the case against um, Al-Hassan that is still ongoing at the moment. Um, the, so there is no judgment on that yet. Um, the, the case is still being heard by the International Criminal Court, so we don't know what the court will actually do with it. But at the moment, it still looks like it would follow Ongwen in how it sees the relationship between forced marriage and modern slavery. Amazing. Oh, it's, uh, yeah, so many cases to get my head around. She's not, not my background. So thank you again for a really clear, um, guide to the landscape there um i guess people who don't don't know the background just just um remind us which conflicts are dominic ongwen and the alhassan case are related to um ongwen is uganda and alhassan is mali timbuktu or the occupation of timbuktu 
Interesting. And I think it's, yeah, it's one of those interesting things about where there's a whole different discussion about where cases have come to the ICC and other special courts from and how long, I think reading your um, case notes in particular, how long it takes for these cases to be to be discussed. And I know you have already studied really interesting questions about the politics behind how courts come to be and what, what kind of charges they bring. Um, and I guess part of that must be also how long how long it takes for these things to happen. Um, so thinking through what the courts have said about forced marriage is, is sexual slavery and then there's something else about it, that it is sexual slavery plus forced labour, like all the things people do in marriages aside from the sexual relationship, so cooking, cleaning, domestic labour, care. I know there's parts of this case about carrying things and when armies are on the move, etc. Um, and then this really interesting kind of way that the courts are starting to think that these aren't separable incidents but that forced marriage and perhaps we shouldn't even call it forced marriage because it's not a real marriage whatever that's taken to be so some forced conjugal relationship conjugal slavery is actually a really complex web of things i guess for in terms of the project i just wonder what your thoughts are about how that might impact how we understand forced marriage in peacetime as well Mm. i think that's a really interesting question um and one where i don't have a definitive answer to. Um, so I think it could impact national law or national prosecutions in different ways. So if I compare the history of how international courts have approached forced marriage to how they have addressed war rape, we could say that national courts do look to international courts for guidance regarding national prosecutions and 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 uh, legal definitions or explanations for definitions so we've seen that around enslavement the crime of enslavement for example where national courts have referred to the Kunarats case that was dealt with by the Yugoslavia tribunal for guidance and kind of Similarly, but like the other way around, national definitions of crimes shape international law. So we've seen that when the first war rape prosecutions came to be, war rape or rape was not recognized in international law. There was no, or there was no definition of it. So the courts look towards national definitions to decide how they want to approach it. We might see something similar when it comes to forced marriage, that national courts look towards the international prosecutions to see how it has been addressed. Or the flip side, that as the international prosecutions go on, maybe we see really good national case law coming up that can help the international courts to decide. So I think one of the things we're finding, isn't it, is that there isn't very much domestic case law. And actually, probably there's more discussion been done by international courts. I think that's interesting about the way the two sets of courts might interact and inform each other. And I guess thinking that in what we've been, you've been looking at, what you've shown me that you found from the um, national legislation, um, that does seem to follow pretty much, I guess, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. So the focus is on the question about whether both spouses have given their full and free consent to the union. And obviously that is something that international courts have dealt with. So I thought it was really interesting what you were just saying there about in the ongoing case, this sense that it was a violation to the right to freely marry 
and then a whole host of other <laughs> problems and crimes. And I guess some of those crimes are already crimes in domestic legislation. I mean, some probably aren't. So I think that's also interesting, isn't it, about where in the world all these different crimes that the um, international courts have identified as part and parcel of forced marriage or making up part of forced marriage are illegal or have been criminalised. Um, and the, thinking about the kind of wider spectrum of violence against women and girls, which although we know that forced marriages happen to men, it's mainly women. Problems that there always are about are there actually sufficient or useful prosecutions for a whole host of issues to do with violence against women and girls. So even where crimes are on statute books, are they actually being prosecuted? And obviously also an issue that they're not on statute books, they're not recognised as crimes. So I guess I think there's, there's interesting there, isn't there, about whether the international courts might be a mode of pressure for making more countries make more of these um, crimes well, yeah, crimes that are recognised by the international courts, crimes that are recognised by their own courts. And that seems perhaps more the case in terms of there being this international case law. But I'm also interested, you know, we're thinking about, as part of the project, what should forced marriage legislation look like um, or what should acts to criminalise forced marriage look like? And as I say, most of them at the minute seem to focus on did both people consent and was there some kind of like overt or obvious forced threat coercion um happening that is provable to show that you didn't consent or like one of the parties didn't consent and that seems really very narrow compared to what has been like considered in depth by these international judges and so i just wonder whether you also think they're uh, not like in that terms not predictive in terms of what might happen but um if you were thinking about drafting this legislation do you think we should be thinking about it more in the way that these international courts look like they've thought about it or sticking with this quite narrow can you show that one person didn't consent no, I think it's a good question because on the one hand, I think a, def a definition of a crime needs to be broad enough to capture as many forms of that crime as possible because forced marriage is not this one clearly identifiable thing that has like clear lines around it. But on the other hand, a legal definition also has to be quite precise for the courts to be able to do something with it, really. So I think there's a really interesting tension. But I definitely think that seeing forced marriage, just in air quotes, as a non-consensual relationship where one or both of the parties have not consented, that might be a bit too narrow, I think. I, I think we need a definition that kind of recognizes the interplay between consent and coercion. And when it comes to coercion, we need, there I think we need a very broad definition that really captures all the different types of coercion that could be possible that is not just um, physical force. It can be anything like emotional, financial, and it can come from anyone or be targeted at anyone. It doesn't have to be between the two people who are actually entering into that marriage. And I think actually the international courts have been on a bit of a journey there as well, where the early cases of the um, that the Special Court for Sierra Leone dealt with, they were not too focused on consent, at least not in that kind of human rights, right to marriage, right to free marriage kind of sense. I think they were more concerned with coercion, I think because we were talking about a conflict context, there it's often like the assumption is that or the, the presumption is that if there is coercion, there's no consent. So we don't really need to talk about consent. Um, but then actually in a different court that I have not mentioned, the um, um, 
in the extraordinary chambers of the courts of Cambodia, consent came up much, much more interestingly. And they had a, a similar understanding or a similar kind of human rights informed understanding of forced marriage that we've seen now in Ongwen again, where they also focused on um, the right to marriage. That's really helpful. Because I, I know I was also thinking about, we were saying from the courts that, you know, often said, I think that the sense of legislation about forced marriage is, do people consent in the ceremony? And that actually a lot of exploitation could happen to people after the ceremony. Everybody knows that your marriage isn't the same as your wedding. And obviously they're not called forced weddings. That's not what we illegalize. Um, I do wonder whether the word marriage helps that focus on do people consent going into this relationship and we're not really interested in what happens in terms of um, exploitation inside of that relationship. And so actually whether thinking about forced conjugal relationships, I mean, I mean, conjugal is quite an old fashioned word, isn't it? But does have that sense of like being forced together um, and not over, over a period of time. Um, that perhaps we we lose a bit when we think about forced marriages and whether that's a, a language shift that should happen in in thinking about forced marriage, forced conjugal relationships, um, especially as it also then helps in cover relationships that don't that aren't formalised somewhere. Um, but as all as all being a, or at least explaining how this could be a form of slavery. I'm not sure about the link to slavery there, but I definitely think there is an argument to make for not calling it forced marriage, but something like a forced conjugal relationship or forced conjugal association. And again, we've seen that, I think we've seen that shift in the international courts as well, where initially the language was around forced marriage and that has changed to this forced conjugal association. Um, and for a while I was thinking about what to call it. Um, and I still refer to it as forced marriage, but that I think is for ease because I think forced conjugal association is quite a mouthful. But then I was also, sometimes you see a forced marital association. And then I was wondering about, so as you can hear, I'm not a native speaker. So I was wondering about the different connotations of the word married or marital and conjugal. And someone told me that conjugal actually refers more to this, the, the two people who are in that relationship. So I, yeah, I've arrived at this point where I think a forced conjugal association or forced conjugal relationship, I think would be a good term to use. Well, that was super interesting. Thank you so much um, for coming and, and sitting in my kitchen and recording this. Um, I'm really looking forward to talking to you more about what you found in the national legislation in another episode soon. And thank you to everybody who's tuned in to listen. Helen is based with the Rights Lab, a University of Nottingham beacon of research excellence. She is an assistant professor in the School of Politics and International Relations. Her forced marriage research is funded by the Arts and Humanities Research Council and the Economic and Social Research Council. Please don't forget to subscribe to be notified on upcoming episodes. For more information, please visit our website forcedmarriageresearch.ac.uk. Okay.